Open your Bibles with me this morning to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, as we begin reading in verse 6, and read all the way through verse 9. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. I'd like to look at this section of Scripture and begin discussing the topic of being full of care. Or, as Paul said it, be careful for nothing. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This epistle is written to a church who at this moment seem to have a lot of stuff going good for it. Uh, you'll see kind of a different dynamic in the book of Philippians than other epistles that are written by Paul. You'll notice that Paul typically starts out with a compliment to a church, and then he immediately tells them something they did wrong. <laughs> you know, I always, I always watch for when somebody gives a preacher a compliment, right? Because they tell me something right, and then they're going to begin to tell me everything I did wrong. You know, Brother Josh, I really liked what you said. However, oh, goodness, I heard a however. Brother Josh, that was a wonderful sermon, but, oh, no. <laughs> you know, sometimes Rebecca will say, honey, I just love how you did this. What did I do wrong? <laughs> I got a compliment. You know, I'll sometimes say the same thing to Rebecca. You look beautiful today. What do you want or what did I do, right? It's, it's typical that way. Well, this is different in this epistle. Paul's epistle has not been written here with any type of rebuke, really. Now, there are exhortations. There are places where he tells them, for example, here, be careful for nothing. That's an exhortation that he gives. Uh, but there's no place where he really does any type of correction other than maybe reframing their attitudes or correcting their attitudes as it pertains to the situation, which is good. He's not calling on them to repent necessarily. Now, yes, changing their mind in certain areas may be in some type of frame a repentance, as it were, but he doesn't call on them to repent of a certain sin like he did with first, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians or maybe even Galatians. As we went through the book of Galatians, he called on them to repent of allowing false teachers to be crept in. Here he doesn't do that. Here he begins by thanking God in the first chapter, thanking God for their fellowship, for their fellowship in the gospel, knowing that God which had begun a good work in them would continue that work. And then he immediately goes into the problem that existed here, which was not of sin, but of mentality. The idea is that they are here worried, they're frustrated, they're a little bit anxious, both of Paul's situation, a man whom they loved being put into prison, 
and even their own situation of probably persecution being brought a notch higher and a notch higher and a notch higher and the heat being slowly turned up to this church like it was with all the churches at that time. And here we see the closing part of this epistle. Now, if I were to give this epistle kind of a name or a theme that you could grab onto, you know, each epistle somewhat has a theme to it. If I were to give this epistle a theme, it would simply be keep on keeping on. What you're doing, hold fast to it. Don't fall by the wayside. Don't let the worry of this world or the care of this world overwhelm you. Don't let my situation, as Paul said, take you away from the goal at hand. But rejoice that even in Paul's situation, he says, the gospel is preached to all of Caesar's house. He says, in everything rejoice. And that's why he is just before this in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4 said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, in everything that is happening, rejoice in God. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He says, let your moderation or way of life, your moderate way of life, in other words, your way of life that is unrelentlessly, as it were, unflappable. <laughs> let that way of life be known to everybody, for the Lord is ever present. He is at hand. You know, that seems really easy as he leads in to be careful for nothing. Rejoice always. It's one thing for me to tell you, you know, perk up, be happy, rejoice. I never like it when people tell me that when I'm in a bad mood. I've learned that the worst thing to tell your wife, uh, you know, is you're in a bad mood. You need to get in a better one, right? That's probably the worst thing in the world to do or say to anybody. You know, you need to just smile. What's wrong with you? You need to just perk up a little bit. That's not something I like to hear necessarily. What's wrong with you? You know, you should just stop. You know, those kind of things are never the best. Or when something bad happens, you know, it could be a lot worse. That's not what I want to hear. You know, and it's true. Most of those things are true, but that's not what I want to hear. But Paul doesn't do this to pour fire on them and dump continually on them more pain, more problems. But what he's doing here is transitioning their view from being focused on the problem to being focused on the source of the fix. You know, instead of understanding that there is clouds of darkness hanging over our head, realize that there is equally light of providence that is shining on those clouds above it. You see, it's a view of not looking at the now or what's around you, but more focused on Christ. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, in all things, in everything that's happened, in my affliction, in your affliction, in everything that is happening to us, rejoice in the Lord. And let that rejoicing affect your way of life to where all see, because God is ever-present. And that's when he breaks into this phrase, be careful for nothing. Now, when he says be careful for nothing, he's not saying that we should purposely go out of our way to be reckless. You know, we have this view of opposites, okay? If you're not careful, you're reckless. And sometimes I tell my children, be careful. I did not realize that having children just at this age, I would say, what were you thinking this much? (laughs) You know, what were you thinking? How did doing this ever cross your mind as a good idea? (laughs) Put that down. I've told y'all before that everybody thought it was so cute. I posted that video online of them fighting with pool noodles. 
But nobody knows, most people don't know the backstory of that. I gave them pool no noodles to fight with because I heard clanging. And I walked downstairs and they were sword fighting with baseball bats. Whose idea was that? <laughs> clang, 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 walk outside. No, right? Now, you know, when he says be careful for nothing, that doesn't mean be reckless. That doesn't mean do the opposite. In other words, just do whatever is the most reckless thing you can do. My niece, who y'all saw this past June, is now a little lady. She's not just a little bitty baby anymore. And my brother's all the time on her about not being reckless because she is a lot like her uncle. She plays trombone, too. It fits perfectly, right? We've got the personality of the trombone. And, you know, we, sometimes we think careful. Don't be careful means just be reckless. That's not what he's saying here. You know, God gave us good sense, right? He gave us the ability to think. He gave us the ability to understand. God doesn't say walk out into traffic, you know. Trust in God. Just walk out there. You know, just have good faith in Him, right? I was listening to some lectures recently on the, what's called the charismatic movement, and they kind of, I was laughing because one of the clips they played was how and they can just speak it and the storm listens to them. I can rebuke that storm in the name of Jesus and that tornado went away. And in the same breath, that person says, you know, we don't really ever fly through bad weather. We try not to. I'm like, hold on now. <laughs> you can rebuke the storm. Why don't you just rebuke it when you fly through it? You know, you know, even God gave that person good sense to know not to do something like that. You'll remember the person Stonewall Jackson, which was a Civil War general, and he was called Stonewall because he would stand at the front lines and he wasn't scared. He would just stand there. He happened to be a Presbyterian and believed in what's called the absolute predestination of all things, what we would typically call fatalism. And he would stand there saying, when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And, you know, I, to an extent, I will agree that there was nothing that happens outside of God's governance, right? But in God's governance... He doesn't cause everything to happen, does he? He doesn't cause my sin. He doesn't cause my transgression. And so to stand up in the face of God and, you know, as it were, to jump off a high mount and say that the angels of God will catch me, that's tempting the Lord their God, is it not? It's interesting that he ended up being killed with friendly fire, if I remember correctly. It's kind of interesting that that happened. You know, God's not telling us to just say... You know, what will be, will be. I don't have to use common sense. It's just going to happen. But what he says when he says be careful for nothing, what he's saying is do not be full of care. Do not be overwhelmed with care. Do not be overwhelmed with anxiety. Do not be full. And you think of this idea of full as a cup that is overflowing. It is to the brim, to the top, full with the liquid in which has been poured in it. And think of care or anxiety in this sense as being a liquid that is being poured into you to where it is the only thing you are full of. When you pour something into it, you have filled it up, and that's all that exists in it. And this view of being full of care, careful, full of care, he's saying don't be overwhelmed and only filled with anxiety. Be careful for nothing. Be full of care for nothing. Do not be overwhelmed with anxiety in whatever happens in your life. And again, that sounds very, 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 very easy on paper, right? I like to think of myself as somebody that doesn't really worry that much. It drives people nuts. Something bad happens, I'm like, okay, well, we'll get through it, you know. <laughs> it's okay. 
And even though mentally right now I'm not that stressed as our trip ever approaches, and mentally I feel fine, but I've noticed the effect that it has on my body because, you know, you can't separate mental health, spiritual health, and physical health and just categorize it in your life. You can't just separate it and say, okay, I'm mentally stressed out, but my body's fine, right? No, they all affect the other one. If you have spiritual health that is declining in the sense that you're not being fed by the Word of God, it's going to affect you physically and emotionally. And if your mental health is being hurt, you're going to have your spiritual health attacked as well as your physical. Your physical body, if your body is being deteriorated, it begins to hurt your emotions and spirituality. You can't make a separation in those areas. And even though I mentally feel fine, I know that I'm not because my body just feels overwhelmed. This feeling of intensity on me at all times. My heart beating out of my chest. This feeling of fuzziness around me every time I think about willingly getting on a plane over an ocean. <laughs> Going to a place that is not my home. And even though inwardly I don't feel scared to death, I know there's something inside of me that feels that way. Because physically, I can feel it. How is this accomplished? How is it accomplished that you can find a way to not be full of care? The first principle that he gives, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to uh, let your requests be made known unto God. The first thing that he says is when you are feeling yourself to be full of care, turn heavenward. Turn your mind, turn your heart, turn your body, turn everything about you heavenward. He says, let, but in everything, everything that you have, turn it in prayer and supplication. That means Verbally, you're speaking to God, supplication, your petitions are being made to God, you're looking to God in all things, and he says, with thanksgiving. One thing we have to realize that when we turn our mind to God, before we understand why we're doing that, is when we speak to God, um, we shouldn't be, as it were, the child that always comes with petitions, but never comes with thanksgiving. Uh, no parent likes it when a child says, I want, I want, I want, and yet at the same time they have everything they could possibly need no thanksgiving no i love you no oh i'm so appreciative of what you've given me you see god tells us not just to bring supplications or requests to god but paul through the inspiration of the spirit of god here says equally bring thanksgivings to him the fact that you can pray to him right now i've said this before in ephesians chapter 1 in verses 3 and 4 and 5, when it says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, and then he goes on to talk about how we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, predestinated unto the adoption of sons. We look at that huge panoramic view of the spiritual blessings he's given us in Christ, and yet forget even prayer, the ability to turn to God verbally and say, Lord God, help me, my God, my Lord, please be with me right now. That is a spiritual blessing that without Christ dying on the cross, you would not have. Without Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that veil in the temple that was rent would still be there. The separation between us and God would still be there. It would always be there. 
Therefore, we should even in our prayer and supplication to Him immediately thank Him first for just the ability to pray for every blessing we've ever had, turn to Him, thanking Him that we don't have to be full of care in these situations because we have a God to turn to. But equally, more importantly, what we see here as turning our mind to God is reminding ourselves that we are not in full control, but ultimately we have to look to God knowing that He is. Amen? You know... I've said it before, certain instances in life will make a praying person out of you, whether it's having children, that waking up at night and hearing, are they, are they there? I've, I've walked in my children's room and laid my hand on their chest just to make sure they're still breathing. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has ever done that. Just laid your hand on them. Are they, are, are they alive? Are they awake? I know they are, but it makes a praying person out, out of you. My children really make a praying person out of me. <laughs> Lord, give me strength. <laughs> you know, keep me from uh, being something I shouldn't be. Don't make me lose my witness in public over my children. You know, I, I, I remember when I first had, before I had kids, you know, you see those parents with screaming kids in restaurants and you think, oh my goodness, why are you here? Oh, you're so loud. Those kids are just so loud and so obnoxious. They're screaming. Can you not get your children under control? And now that I have kids and I hear a screaming, uh, screaming parent too, but screaming children in a restaurant, I'm like, I feel you. I love you. I understand. I'm so sorry. No judgment for me. God bless you. I'm prayed for you. You know, you feel that ability. It makes a praying prayer. It makes you more understandable. But, you know, children really make you into a praying person. It realizes you're out of control. Your children cannot be in your sight. And you have hover parents now because of our culture. You have hover parents that have tried to do the opposite effect. Because our culture has become in some areas so secular and ungodly, they try to do the opposite effect. And so, you know, they're like 30 and they're still living in their parents' home. And they're like, no, you can't date that person. You know, tell you, you can't get that job. You can't go to that. You know, you can't go there. And I'm like, okay, he's an adult now. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you know, they're not perpetually. Uh, there comes a time in which that arrow is shot, right? And you're hoping everything you've done up to that point teaches them the right direction to go and it realize it makes you realize your limitations it makes you realize how you can't control everything and this is why he says be careful for nothing the first thing you should do is turn your mind to god because there is one there is only one that there are no limita limitations to there is only one who has sovereign authority in both heaven and earth. There is only one that we can look to and understand that ultimately there is not a single rogue molecule in this universe in his view. Yes, he does not cause all things in that absolute sense that he causes us to sin and disobey him. But at the same time, nothing is outside of his sovereign governance, right? Nothing happens that he doesn't at least suffer to exist. Our God is that powerful. Now, I know there are some things in this world that he does not actively cause, but as it were, those, were those things will still answer to him one great day. Amen? And this is why he says, turn heavenward, turn heavenward. And he says in doing this, in verse 7, in the peace of God... The peace which comes from God in this sense. The peace which is only from God. Now, there will be no place that you could find this peace elsewhere. 
there are some things that we do to find peace is self-therapy. Uh, it's a big catchphrase nowadays, self-care. And I'm all about that. Like I told you, I, I've been so physically drained and distracted that yesterday before we went and visited Grant's Mill Church to hear Brother Sonny Piles and David Piles preach, I went and ran three miles. Last night, Becca took the kids out to eat and I said, okay, you're gone. I'm going to go run four more miles. And I think it ended up being about 7.7 .7 miles I ran throughout the day. And it's, it's, it's my way of self-care. I listen to... Uh, lectures on Christianity as I run, and that's my way to kind of control my own anxiety. But at the end of the day, you know, running didn't cure it in the morning. I had to do it again. It's, everything that I use for peace doesn't really give peace. It just kind of, meta, you know, it just kind of numbs it for a moment, and it's going to come back. The only source for peace, hope for anybody in this world whether believer or unbeliever, the only peace that is afforded to anybody in this world comes from God. There is no peace outside of Him. There is no peace, tranquility. And when we get this view of peace, it's not saying that we are removed from the situation. As Paul would go on to say, he knows in all things how to both abound and how to be abased. He knows how to be both. He's not saying that you're removed from the situation. You know, God has not said that the gospel is given to us so that we may be removed from our trials in this life. Now, praise be unto God, He has promised that in the end that He has overcome it through His cross, yet at the same time, He has not promised that we would be without trials here. So when He says peace, He's saying in that moment... Though everything around you is being destroyed, it's almost like you're sitting in the eye of the storm. You're the one calm rock. You've built your house, as it were, in Matthew chapter 7, on a firm foundation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And though the winds begin to beat against it and hit it as hard as it can, and though it continues to wail and wail and wail and hit, yet you do not fall because something keeps you established. The peace of God. The tranquility afforded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I like how he says this peace of God is different than any other type of peace we can have because this peace passeth all understanding. Now that doesn't mean that this peace is not understandable. This isn't some type of thing where you um, just get filled with this just ecstasy of the Holy Ghost and you just get overwhelmed and you begin to just get in this trance and this kind of mystic Eastern feel and you begin to just spout out gibberish and that gives you peace, some emotional high. That's not what it's talking about. I know today we live in a culture, especially Christian culture, that has been greatly affected since the early 1900s with Eastern mysticism and Christianity where we think meditating is this kind of view where we just get overwhelmed and we can't explain it and you begin to talk in some unknown tongue to yourself. And I'll tell you this, unknown tongues in the Bible were not unknown languages. When somebody spoke in a tongue, it meant a tongue they didn't know and their hearers heard them in their own language. Acts chapter 2, when they were overwhelmed with the Holy Ghost, the hearers heard and knew it was in their own languages. 
you had multiple people there in Jerusalem, and when they spoke in tongues, they said, how does he know my language? This would be the equivalent of Josh Winslet going over to China and beginning to speak Chinese. I don't know it. I barely know English. <laughs> I told somebody this past weekend that I'm gonna, she's coming, our girl's going to come over from China and going to have to learn two new languages. And they looked at me, I said, English and Southern. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to learn two new languages. <laughs> the king's English and then, hey, y'all, <laughs> we're going to have to learn two different things. But it's not some emotional high ecstasy to where you just get and begin, it's beyond your understanding. It's not that. God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of chaos. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not make you chaotic in worship. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is peace that passes the understanding that the world can give. Let me give an example. All right. Peace that passeth all understanding. You have somebody that lost a child at a young age, let's say a teenager that is about to go off to the military. This recently happened to, uh, a few years ago. The first funeral I ever had to preach was of a young man who had finally gotten it together, was about to go off to the military. Grandparents were proud. Parents were proud. Everybody was so thrilled, and this child is going to go off. And the night before he leaves to boot camp, he dies in a car accident. That is overwhelming. I can't imagine it. Now that I have children, those kind of situations completely change the way I think about things. Yet, the grandfather himself, I love that dear brother. First time I ever went to Oxford to preach, he wrapped his arms around me and said, you wanna go out to eat? I said, yes. He said, let's go to Wendy's. I was like, Wendy's, okay, well that's good too. And he said, whatever you want on the menu. I miss him so much. A dear friend, one of those people to whom Hebrew says the world was not worthy. Well, he had cancer. He couldn't go to the viewing or funeral. He had to sit in the house because he couldn't be around people. So he couldn't go to his own grandson's viewing. And so I, I said, I'm going to go sit with him while y'all are all here because somebody needs to minister to him. And I go and I visit him and he says, I can't believe this has happened. But I'm so thankful. And you know, he said he just got it together. He was finally moving forward. And then he looked at me and said, but it's okay. I thank God that I'm going to see him again one day. You see, the gospel is the only thing that affords that to anybody. Understanding Jesus Christ is the only thing that affords us peace. When I lost one of my best friends that I've ever had in 2004, some of you probably remember this, in 2004, July 4th weekend, and you see everybody crying in sorrow, overwhelmed with what has happened, yet you see a few people, believers in sovereign grace, that we were so heartbroken. We could stand up and say, it is well with my soul. Because our God has got this. God is not dethroned because there has been trouble or trials in my life. I can look to God in supplication and prayer and say, even though I am overwhelmed with sorrow at this moment, my God has not been dethroned. My God is still good. My God is still sovereign. My God is still great. My God is still powerful. And in the end, as Christ said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is our triumph. Regardless of what happens in this life, our God is triumphed. And we may not feel as though he has triumphed in a certain situation, but in the final analysis, he triumphs over all in everything. 
You see, this is the kind of peace that passes all understanding. It allows you to be able to lose everything and look up and say, I'm still rich in Christ. It, it transforms you like it does David when he lost his infant son after God judged his house with his sin with Bathsheba and everybody was confused that he could stand up after losing his child and shake off the sackcloth and ashes and begin to have a feast. And they say, what's wrong with you, David? And he looks and says, I can't, he can't come to me, but I will go to him. You see, this peace that passeth all understanding is not some ignorant chaotic mess but it's a peace that comes from the knowledge of the gospel that the world cannot understand it changes the Christian it changes the believer it changes every individual that comes under the full understanding of the truth of grace because whatever happens it's okay my God's got it. And he says, This itself shall keep your hearts, the understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, This type of peace will keep you. And it's not just positive thinking. It's not just positive outlook. It's not just the power of a positive, happy smile. You know, sometimes I try to think very positively in most situations. I tell people one of my pastoral rules is, and this will sound funny, I have a list of pastoral rules and preaching rules. They're unstated, but I, I have a list of them. One of my pastoral rules, as it applies to a congregation, is hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and expect things to always stay the same. <laughs> I'm hoping it's going to be better. I ex prepare for the worst possible case scenario, but I expect people to always be who they've always been. <laughs> then I'm never disappointed. You know, if, if I, and not saying people in congregation are this way, but if I expect a liar to lie to me, I'm not disappointed when he lies to me, <laughs> right? You know, I'm not offended. I knew you were to begin with. And, you know, sometimes we view it in, in this way, and he's not just saying have a positive outlook, keep your hearts and minds to a positive outlook, but he attaches your heart and mind to an object. See, faith is not in, sometimes we say blind faith, blind faith. And it's true that we believe in that which we do not see in one sense, as Jesus would tell Thomas, but at the same time, it's not blind faith or faith with lack of evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We're not just blindly looking and saying, I don't know if it's real or not, you know, but I sure hope it is. No, brothers and sisters, we have an object to our faith. And as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, as he has already told the Roman church, that beautiful view of the phases of God's love in our life and of salvation, when he says in verse 29, and for whom he did foreknow, that means to before love. It doesn't mean he knew something you did or knew that you would have faith in him or knew that you would choose him, but it says before whom he loved. That word know has the connotation of relational love as a man knows his spouse. And he says, before whom he did love, he knew there was a relationship. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. He looks at what God has done for them, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of the truth, and he then says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, not, how shall he not with him 
also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Paul does not direct their minds in Philippians chapter 4 to some false hope or some empty blind faith, but he says the way that you find peace is directing your attention to Jesus Christ. If God spared not his son, if he forsook his son, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then he will not forsake you. If he gave his only begotten son, he will not lose you. If God has justified you, you are forever not guilty. And if God has done that for you, if God has so secured your eternal happiness and joy in his son, if God sent his only begotten son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, if God has sent his son to die for you, do you think that God now looks at you without care? See, the reason that we can be without not full of care, the reason we can not be careful for nothing is because we are under the care of Christ. If we're in Him, and if we know Him, if He knows us, if He has loved us, we have the assurance that it's okay. You see, that's why in verse 8 he says, Finally, brethren, he allows them to be able to take this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, he, he looks and says the way that this is accomplished, the way that you are able to fully obtain this peace, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, he mentions the pure things, the lovely, he mentions the things that are of a good report, virtue, those things which are praiseworthy, not praising of yourself, but those things which are praiseworthy to God, those things which are of praise, those things, he says, think on those. In other words, when things get to the point to where it is overwhelming, adopt, as it were, as Richard Baxter did, the old Puritan, and he would have those heavenly meditations in his bodily frailties. When his body was overwhelmed with pain, he would simply sit and think of how glorious heaven will be. You see, the hope of heaven one day made it to where he could endure the calamities of that day. The peace and tranquility that was afforded in eternity kept him peaceful in time. And that's the thing that he's saying. Let your mind go heavenward. Turn to God in prayer. Have peace which comes from Jesus Christ. Look upward. Think on things that are true. Think on things that are honest. Think on things that are pure. And then Paul attaches it to an example when he says, Equally, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, the example you have seen in me, the example that when he was thrown into prison, the example of being shipwrecked, the example of being taken and stoned, yet still turning his mind to God, he says, that example, do. Do. 
and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, Paul further goes on past this. You'll recognize in Philippians chapter 4 and verse uh, 13, there are a few scriptures in the Bible that I would say are probably the most overquoted yet misunderstood in the entire Word of God. There are a few, and I think you could uh, probably say the top three are John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's very misunderstood most of the time. Sometimes it's misunderstood when people say, judge not. And I think they've taken a sharpie and edged out the rest of the chapter. <laughs> but they got the judge not. I think that may be the most misunderstood, judge not. Because not only among Christians, but even among unbelievers, they may not know anything else in the Bible, but they know judge not. And they don't realize that means judge not in a hypocritical sense. Because the Bible gives plenty of discerning judgments throughout that we should use as discerning Christians. And then there's this one when it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Sometimes people say, I can do anything that I want. I can get my goals. And that's true in one sense. God does strengthen us to, and keep us. But that's not the immediate context. I don't think this means I can pursue riches and fame through Christ which strengthens me. God is not really that caring about your material happiness and riches and fame in this world. God cares about your holiness. That's why I came to die. Where we quoted earlier, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, when he talked about, and you hath he chosen. Uh, I'm going to have to actually read it this time. Uh, when he looks in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, when he says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? It doesn't say that we should be financially prosperous and famous and that we should have the biggest house on the street. He has chosen us that we would have uh, influence in government and that we would just be the most uh, popular people in the world. No, he doesn't say that. He says he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, that doesn't mean that God is not concerned with our joy. We have joy in Christ, right? But there is, in a sense, a difference between heavenly joy and earthly happiness. There's a big difference between the two. God is concerned with us having heavenly joy, but secular happiness, uh, you know, some of the things that we think are secular happiness are simply the pleasures of sin for a season. God is concerned with our holiness. And here when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not saying I can get that Ferrari through Christ who strengthens me. I can get that big house through Christ who strengthens me. But under the context of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. He says, I know how to be full and to be hungry. He says, I have had it to where I've had everything that I needed. The Philippians were concerned with his welfare. The Philippians had gotten to the point to where they were sending him help. They were concerned with Paul's well-being. And Paul comforts them in their affliction by saying, Listen, God has blessed me in Christ to have peace that passes all understanding. Why? I know how to be abased, but I know how to be poor. I know how to be hungry. How does he do that? How is he able, the all things under consideration that he is able to do through Christ, is he knows how to endure affliction through Christ. He knows even how to be rich through Christ. And I will tell you this, it's probably easier in a lot of ways to learn how to endure affliction through Christ than it is to learn how to endure prosperity through Christ. 
you can a lot of times find people in third world countries that are far happier than us and they have far less but all they have is their religion they know how to be happy Paul says I've learned in every situation I've learned in every situation, in everything that happens to me, all things, I can endure them how? Through Christ, which strengthens me. Whatever it is that overwhelms us, whatever it is that makes us full of care, and I will tell you that all of us are in different stages of life. Every person in here is probably at a, some of y'all are parallel in stages, some of y'all are at different stages. Every stage of life is going to have something that makes a person full of care. Right now, we are full of care in our journey to adopt a young girl. Our children are probably full, actually, I know they are full of care and thinking that their parents are going to be gone for two weeks. Different types of care, yet we're both full. You yourselves, there may be the full of care for old age or maybe uh, full of care for the, a loved one, maybe full of care for a situation that's out of your control. Each person is at a different stage in their life course, yet we are all full of care. How is it that you can endure, whether it is poverty or whether it is riches in your situation? How can you endure the riches of this world that you are given in a godly fashion? How can you endure the poverty that life may hold before you? How can you endure it without being full of anxiety? By understanding as we looked two weeks ago that the body is more, or the, we are more than the body and more than just raiment. We are not just physical, but we are spiritual. We're different from all the other animals. They die and they just go away. And you know, I love, I love my dog, but it, it's nice, it's ignorant. <laughs> it's ignorant, I love it though. But when dogs die, they just go to the dirt. You say, what does that have to do with this? Because when we die, we don't. And we're under the watch care of God as spiritual beings. Brothers and sisters, you can endure everything if your focus is correctly placed on the object of your faith, the hope of your trust. If your view is looking heavenward, you can equally like Paul say, whatever this life holds, I can do all things through Christ. And now supplant Christ in earlier where we looked at in verse 8 when he said whatsoever things are true Christ is true whatsoever things are pure or just Christ is just and pure whatsoever things are lovely Christ is lovely whatsoever things are of good report Christ is of good report whatsoever things are a virtue of praise all these things that God tells us to focus our mind on in the time of trial are found in Christ. And if you look to Him in that moment, it's not going to stop the turmoil. It's not. It's not going to stop what's happening. No matter what, the life keeps going, right? 
One thing I've learned, life just keeps going. Life does not wait. I can say, you know, I love some, my sons play video games and they'll pause in the middle of something and they'll say, <laughs> pause, save the game and go on about their business. Life, you can't pause and save and take a break. It keeps going. <laughs> but even though we can't pause and we can't save, we can't say mulligan and start over, in the midst of the storm, peace is afforded to the believer in Jesus Christ through focusing on the Son of God to whom was not spared so that we could live eternally with Him. Praise be unto God, we have this peace. We don't have to be full of care. And we can, like Paul, endure all things through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom you gave for sinners that hated you, that walked according to our own iniquity and sin. But Lord, in your divine sovereign covenant love, you sent your only begotten Son as our representative before you to die in our place. Lord, with that knowledge that you have sent your Son so that we can eternally rest with you, let us find peace in our present turmoil knowing that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Gracious God, let us not waver in our view of your Son. Let us not be full of anxiety or full of care. But Lord, let us have the peace that passes all understanding of this world, a peace that is able to make us transcend the problems and knowing that in the end we can sing like the songwriter in praise to you, it is well with my soul. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Without it, we would have not this peace. Lord, I pray that this peace would establish all the hearts that are here this morning in whatever stage of life they are in. And I pray, gracious God, that those around us in this community would find this peace. Lord, those that may have their vision dim towards a false view of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, those that are unchurched, that are your sheep, let us find them, Lord, with this knowledge. Gracious God, only you can add to the church. You are the Lord of the harvest. But I pray, Lord, that we would take this knowledge and sow this seed, this peace, the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, with all to whom we know. Lord, as it has affected us and our hearts and our minds, help us, Lord, to show this beauty to other people. In your name I pray, and amen.